Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, we have a guest speaker here to share with us an encouraging message about Jesus. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Abraham, our forefather, 
and he addresses those who know the law, right? So he clearly is speaking to both parties. Uh, but in chapter 14 and 15, um, he's trying to mend those differences between two cultures. Uh, and in the upbringing of both Jews and Gentiles, if you guys are familiar with those two chapters, um, in chapter 14, he talks about the law of love and the law of liberty. You know, and that is something that, uh, you know, a lot of Jews were struggling with. You know, they were so into the strict rules and regulations, and the Gentiles were sort of free spirits, so on and so forth. And he's trying to bring a lot of those uh, differences together. So, I would encourage you, if you guys did not study the Book of Romans, and I think it's amazing, so let me go to study one to the Book of Romans. It's very precarious, and actually, he has done the, the Book of Romans in Easter uh, once before, and uh, it's a great book. I highly encourage So, we're going to move into our text tonight in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, first word, therefore. Well, what is therefore, therefore? Well, it means that uh, these things being so. Well, what, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, in order to start there, we can have to go back to talk about all these things he's talking about in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, lead up to chapter 5. Don't worry, I'm not going to go all through it, but I'm going to give you a brief summary there. That in the beginning, Paul has his, his, his normal introduction calls himself a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that very deliberate use of words there is not is not on public claim. He calls himself a bond servant, and a bond servant is uh, somebody who has fulfilled his duty as a slave, but chooses to continue to serve that master. Uh, and he makes the case that Jesus is the Son of God, because of his death and resurrection, he has been given grace. He says that the just shall live by faith. Verse 18 32, he begins to make the case that God's wrath or punishment will be poured out on the ungodly. Verse 32 says, not only that, but those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only these things, but also fruit of those who practice them. Now, if you've ever been like me, you've read through the first chapter of Romans, Romans, you think you're like, okay, yeah, this world, we're going to get there, right? Then he goes back to two. <laughs> and second, he says, oh, don't think we're going to get away with it. God makes it clear that his judgment is not to be poured out on all men. And that the Jews are as guilty as the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 3, God's judgment is defended. He says that we will all be found guilty in God's eyes. In verse 3, God frequently sums it up and says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, that leads us to chapter 4, says, makes the case that it is faith that you need faith for the works. And he makes the case that faith is what will justify men before God, not works. And he describes several Old Testament examples where faith in God brings justification. It is Abraham who is justified by faith. Circumcision does not make a man holy before God. So these are a lot of things that he's bringing before uh, the Church of Rome. And that's where we get to the word therefore. Having said all that, therefore, 
that Jesus was a real person or right there in the book. He just chooses to say, if you want to know more about God, you want to understand, or if you want to try and disprove the Bible, I would say start with Bible. So Josh McDowell, who's this guy, you know who Josh McDowell is, wrote a book called God. Of the evidence that deserves a birth, right? And that's got to be lying to that. And that's exactly what Dr. Cowell was saying. That's how he proved the Bible. Okay, my truth is that God is not just a person. He said, so that this person, Jesus Christ, is not a real person. It's all things in the tale. But as time went on, as they read through the Bible, he became a Christian. He was teaching all the truth. He's been teaching God right here. So we have, and we have the access to it. Yeah, he has understand how amazing it is that we actually have the Word of God upon us. You know, they call the Dark Ages for a reason. They were the Dark Ages because prominent people had the Word of God and they used it as a tool to control the people. People did not have access to the Word of God. And it was people like Gutenberg who made the first printing press. Gutenberg didn't make the printing press to make newspapers and magazines. They made the printing press to create the Bible so that the common person they have access to the Word of God. So, it is amazing that we have this, and again, we take this for granted as well. I mean, you know, I'm talking uh, this afternoon uh, with Dustin, who said, hey, are you going to get on Bibles? Yes, we're still getting on Bibles. We have, we have access to this. It's here. If you need a Bible, we have the Bible. If you need one, take it home. You have the access to the Word of God, and it is power, and it is the truth. Um, and so we have this faith, and it's not a blind faith, it's a faith in truth that we can find in the Word of God. And so it's by faith that we have access into His grace, in which we stand. We stand in His grace. Now, this word stand can also be translated as with faith, which means you're standing, it's to make a public faith, right? Now, when Mike asked us to stand in, in, in sing, we were standing and sing, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's a public statement, or the, although it may be a public statement. But many times you can see, you know, you can think of many examples where someone would stand in opposition to something. You're standing in strength, right? You're standing up for something, or you're with things, right? And there's a, uh, you're, if you've ever been in any kind of a severe windstorm or anything like that, the wind's blowing and you go, Lean into it like that, that's good standing. And that's what the term means that we stand. So we, we would stand in that faith, in His grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. To rejoice is to be excited. It also means to boast. We're boasting in His grace, we're boasting in the hope and glory of God. And this word hope is not the worldly term of hope. You know, a lot of times we hope we do, right? Hopefully, hope we make it, the car is breaking, right? We hope that we can make it, maybe build that time. We hope that the mayor is going to be here, right? We hope that this will happen. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's based on uh, a, a, almost like an unbelief, like it could or could not happen. But that's not the same kind of hope that we have. And that's what sometimes the problem with the, with language, the languages, you know, I mean, you know, in, in uh, English language, you have one word for love, and that's love, right? I love pizza. It's not the same love I have for my wife. I love that, right? I love that. But in the, in the 
word of God, there's several words that talk about love. We're all translated love. You know, there's the, the love that God has for us, right? There's the unconditional love. And, and there's the love that a husband and wife have. Those are all different words, different meanings. We have one word, love, right? And the same thing is true here. This word, hope. We, we sometimes think of it as the worldly uh, translation of the word hope, which means which has a, it is, it's, uh, it's something that may or may not happen. But the word hope here that we have in the Bible is to anticipate, like you know that it's going to happen. It's not a, it may or may not. It is, this is going to happen. And we anticipate uh, with pleasure and we boast or get excited because of it. It's that not only that, but the glory and tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character hope. And the end is not the one that I want to talk about. Tribulation, The glory and tribulation. Well, what does it mean to glory and tribulation? Now, think about it. It's the same glory for tribulations, right? It's not like you wake up in the morning and say, oh boy, hope I get some kind of tribulation today, right? Hope not to say that. But what we're talking about is glory and tribulation. And there's one thing about tribulations that we have to understand. And that in this world, we're going to have tribulation. Alright? It's not a maybe. It is a promise that Jesus made to us. And Romans chapter 8 says, in this world, there will be tribulation. So it says, any good fear I have overcome the world, right? It's a promise. We're going to have tribulation. And I think this is a, a point where a lot of Christians, particularly young Christians, might get hung up on some things. You know, Jesus talked about the parable of the soils. And if you remember that story, there's, there's the soil that is uh, hard and stony, and the birds of the air take away the seed immediately. And there's the, the rocky soil, and then there's the soil that's grown up with all the cares and, and the things of the world, right? Well, the rocky soil would be like someone maybe like a new, a new believer, a new Christian, right? Who receives the word with joy, receives it with pleasure, but there's no root there. And as soon as any trial or tribulation comes along, uh, they, they seem to give up, right? And that may be because maybe their understanding of who God is may be a dispute. So you see, God did not come here, or Jesus did not come to this earth to fix this world for us. Jesus didn't come here to make our lives rosy and, and better. Although, sometimes, you can say that that is something that's happened. Right? But we, we can't get, we can get caught in that fact that Jesus is here, or God is here, to make our lives better. He didn't come to make our lives better. He didn't come to fix this world. He came to save people from it. So we're going to face trials and tribulations. The word tribulation, the root of that word, talks about the sled that's used to drag over the threshing floor, to crush the wind and the death. You think about that. That's what a tribulation is being crushed and broken, right? That's what tribulations are. But tribulations produce perseverance, right? And our church 
people don't uh, learn. You know, there's some. Um, you know, many times in life you can see this in situations where uh, if people are afraid to take a chance, um, they never learn. They never get that experience, right? And so, this portion of the right here can lead to some very positive things in your in your Christian walk or in your day-to-day walk that this is a very good recipe for how to succeed. That cloud is going to come. But you need to push through, right? And when you push through, you're going to get experience. And when you get that experience, it's going to make you, make you be more effective for the next one. Of course, in Christian, in this, in this portion of Scripture here, it says that that character produces hope. And again, it's not the uh, this version of hope is not uh, something that we that can be taken. Uh, you know, I'm talking about the world we hope of the religious death. That says in verse five, it says, "Now hope does not disappoint. Anticipation does not dis- uh, anticipation does not dishonor disgrace. Trials and tribulations build up hope in us. This hope will not be disappointed." God proves his intention to finish the work that he has started. There's one transition to this that hope is not something that can be, uh, it's not a philosophy. It's not something that is a, uh, a, a mystery, right? It's something that it won't disappoint. It won't disappoint. It will uh, be there for us, right? It's something that we can count on, not something that can Worldly hope is something that we can firmly believe in. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. The love of God can also be characterized as the benevolence or goodwill of God. And that word to be poured out actually means to be gushing out. It gushes out into our hearts to the point that it's overflowing. Think of a five gallon bucket and one cup, right? That's, that's how much God is pouring out His grace and His mercy into us. It's being poured to us to the point of overflowing. And it is the act of the Holy Spirit because it's the situation that. That does this, does the will of God. I thought it was really good. I was reading about um, oh man, who's the who's the American preacher? Billy Graham, Billy Graham. Billy Graham had a great, great analogy for the five years back. Right? There's a lot of people that get hung up on how that there is God the Father, or God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, how can they be three people in one that is going to make sense? Well, very good. Yeah, water, right? Water takes three forms. Water, ice, and sea, right? One thing, three different aspects of it. And that's a great way to analogize who the Holy Spirit is. One part of the five you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that we are filled with uh, according to the love of God is poured into us through the Holy Spirit by God's will. 
And we need a constant feeling of the Holy Spirit to be on. It is something that we need. And uh, I have to, I have to go. I, I can't remember if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before. Uh, I was messing with King Pastor. And uh, I felt like the Chinese team did up their hands for this is a on the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you why. But I need it. I need the instilling of the Holy Spirit that we all need. And again, this I think this is one of those things that we take for granted in Scripture that we don't uh, we don't understand or we don't take the opportunity to ask that hey, we're going through a trial, we're going through something. We need that instilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, going back to talking about tribulations and, and talking about. Things like that, I want to touch on this one point. A lot of people, like I was saying, think that God is like a genie in a bottle of water, right? That whatever we ask, He's going to give us. And that's certainly not the case, right? We don't understand how God works, we don't understand why things happen the way they do. Um, but Sometimes you may be in a situation where you're praying diligently for God for healing. And it may or may not come. But it may come to other people. It doesn't make any sense sometimes. And that's where we need that instilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that we need to glory in that hope. We need to glory in that hope. And by, by that, I mean that if you've been here tonight and, you're, and you have some kind of Feelings that take place, and you're praying God diligently. God has the power to heal. He does absolutely have the power to heal. But we need to glory in the fact that the healing may come afterwards, right? So maybe we need to focus not on this world, but focus on the world that's coming after this. So that we're to glory in the fact that Jesus paid the price for us, and that this place is done, the world is done, but we have a hope. In heaven, that where there is no sickness, there is no death, there's no sadness, there's, there's none of that. And that's where we can put our hope in our, in our uh, yeah, we can put our hope in, in that. Now, sometimes God can be faithful and can answer our prayers, but there are other times where He may not. And you don't know the will of God, sometimes you don't understand it. You know, some of us here, uh, we may, there, there may be trials that come that we make no sense to. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like for, for us to have to bury one of our kids. You know, I hope we might have gone through that with Jack and understand the pain that would be for someone to have to do that, alright? Or someone that you are welcome to have uh, has passed away, or someone's been involved in some terrible. Those are the trials and tribulations that come our way, but our focus has to be on the hope of the next life that God gives us, that freedom that the Holy Spirit pours into us, that strength and the, the will that we have to glory in Him and to keep our focus on the next world to come and not on this place here. Because they said before, God's not going to come here to this place. God's easier to save us out of this place. For when we were still without strength in these times, Christ died for the ungodly. 
day, we celebrate those that gave no sacrifice. They gave their lives up for our dreams. We celebrate that, rightfully so. But those people gave their lives up for the country that they loved, not the country that they hated, right? But it was Jesus who gave his life up, not for those that he loved, but for those that, let me back up, Jesus gave himself up for those that hated him. He sacrificed himself for those that were enemies of God. That is so hard for us to comprehend. It's enormous. Another one of those things that we sit down and think about is just absolutely useless to us because we don't have the ability to even process that. I'll process that. Um, that I know myself. God's love goes beyond the best love among you. Does it not? The love that God has for us, we have great love for God, right? We have love for our friends, we have love for our families, we have love for our moms, our dads, our spouses. But the love that God has for us is not even compared to what we have. It goes beyond what we can comprehend. Goes on to say that someone could possibly be bold enough to die for a good person. Right? I think of Peter being bold enough to defend Jesus in the garden with Jesus being arrested. You know, Peter loved Jesus and he willingly fought for Jesus, right? He's bold enough to defend Jesus. But it's those that hated God, that hated Jesus, those are the people that Jesus. David's life, his heart was to be on the first Friday, it says that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God brings together his own fairy for us. The word demonstrate that he uses there is like a military demonstration, right? You think about a military demonstration. How many of you guys have ever seen any kind of aerial, uh, you know, planes flying? They're doing this, like they're doing this, right? It's pretty amazing to see the uh, how close those planes fly with such synchronicity and getting this plane just riding. It is so awesome to see. That's what I think about when I think of demonstration. Demonstration that God brings together, demonstrating His own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were still in the state of sinning, Christ died for us. That's another thing. Not just because we did it one time, still in the state, present tense, that we were in the state of sinning. And even in that state, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. Great, hard to believe. But God loves us, loves us, even when we're sinning. And it does not mean that he approves of our sin. We don't have the license. We have certain liberties, but he does not approve of our sin, but Jesus sacrificed himself even while we were sinning. He died for us knowing that we're going to sin because of our sins in the past, and, and we were sinning at the time, past, present, and future. He gave himself up for all, of, for all those sins. And again, that doesn't give us the license and the, the freedom to go out and do these things. I would encourage you to move on to chapter 6 because chapter 6 talks all about that. Um, 
does give us the freedom to ask for forgiveness, right? In the name of Jesus, that it really was. the work of Jesus on the cross for us is God's ultimate proof of his love for you. He may give additional proof, but he can give no greater proof. If the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love, it is also the ultimate demonstration of man's hatred. It also proves that the height of man's hatred cannot defeat the height of God's love. You know, we work for evil people, but we can never hate somebody as much as God loves us. And that's what we think about. Verse 9 says, much more than having been justified by his blood. Much more having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. To be spared from God's anger and punishment because of what he has done. He was judged up according to his law. But we will be spared from sin because Jesus took our place on the cross. We shall be saved from the wrath through Him. Now, wrath, you know, can be translated as punishment, but I think of wrath sometimes that gives us this blind anger, right? A lot of times we think of wrath as something terrible, right? The greatest God's judgment is something terrible, but it's not something that uh, is just. Waiting for us, for Jesus not waiting to do it because he cannot wait to punish us. That's who I used to think God was, right? That was my idea of who God was. God was this guy, this uh, thing up there, just blocking me, waiting for me to screw up this stuff in his head. And that's how I grew up thinking. I was, I had this weird attitude, but I just had this huge view of my relationship with God. I didn't really understand. Really, the whole thing about grace and mercy—it was more of a work. I thought you had to earn your way there. That's kind of how I would say I thought that way, but that's how I processed it. You know, I went to church. We were very active in our church, and I certainly knew right from wrong. I just chose to be wrong. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But uh, I just thought that this, this God was this, this distant being. That was just washing me all the time, waiting for me to screw Right? That's, that's, how, that's how I view God. So when I would hear the words like wrath, I would, I would think about it like, okay, yeah, that's God's wrath. God's wrath is coming my way because, you know, I did this, you know, and that's God's wrath is, yes, it is God's punishment. Uh, but that's going to be on the people of the world, right? If you're saved, you're preaching that God's wrath. He's going to be poured out on this world, but we're not going to do it. Right? We're going to be, have a burden to be with Jesus. We're going to be in fair and glory. We're going to see him. He's going to be dressed in white uh, and brilliant, uh, where we can't even, you know, really see it. We can't even bask in the glow of it. We're going to be there where there's no sickness, there's no police, right? There's no riots, there's no burning of cars, there's none of the stuff we have in the world. We're just going to be there with Jesus, but yet God's wrath is going to be poured out on the people here. And not because uh, they didn't have a choice. God gives us a choice, right? We have a choice. It's not that um, 
God, God does not send people to hell. It is the people that make that choice, right? You have a choice. You have a choice right now, today, to say, yes, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ is the reason that died upon the cross. I believe that that he gave his life up for me. I believe that. Um, or you can choose not to believe that. But God's wrath is going to be poured out on those people that do not believe. So we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Romans 18 says, The wrath of God that was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, the unrighteousness of men. We talked a little bit about that in the first two public chapters. Romans where it says, There are none that will be found, not, there, will, there will be none that will be okay. Everyone should be found guilty, right? There, there is no one that says, right? No one is without sin, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we just need. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God gave us a way out. He was raised to his mercy. Uh, 5.10 says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved. So in the past, we were enemies with God, right? Not by, you know, it's not like I grew up one day, but I realized one day, like, hey, I think I'm going to be God. You know? It's just not something that we typically think of, I would imagine. But yet, we were. The fact that we were destitute, we were separated from God, we were enemies with God, but Jesus willingly gave us life by our fire. Maybe uh, felt like for us by submitting to the Father's will, sacrificing himself by dying on the cross. He did so, he did so, so that we would be made right with God. That's what reconciling is, right? You guys have all, well, okay, not everyone here, some of you are much younger, but you stick in your textbook, right? You take the statements, you always do reconciling, right? And just make sure the number is that up, right? So many people are like, no, I really just thought it was that. What's the topic? Right? But you still have to do that. Reconciling means making the both sides add up, making the new things, right? And we've been reconciled with God. We've been made equal. We've been robbed. We've been uh, not just saved, but reconciled. So it's one thing to be forgiven, right? But to be forgiven and to be reconciled is the next step. You know, in 2 Samuel, that we've been going through the YouTube, um, we're, we're right, we're in chapter 14, I think we're on 17 minutes from right now. Chapter 14 talks about the story of where uh, Absalom, you know, if you guys know the story of uh, Absalom, who's his son, uh, Absalom had killed, uh, murdered David's first-born son because David was David's first-born son, David. He created this. Absalom's daughter or sister, right? And uh, so he waited for a couple of years for the time of right? He actually murdered, uh, I can't remember his name, but because of his hand, because of his story. Uh, and so Absalom ran, right? He he seeks uh, asylum in another country uh, out of the, uh, he was no, no longer in Israel. He, he went to uh, another city. And he was there for a couple of years, right? And, uh, David never sent for him, right? So finally, 
the cross that we can be made holy again. We can be, we can receive that likeness. That's what it means by being born again, right? We can be born again as that spiritual rebirth. We were dead in our transgressions. We were dead because of Adam's sin. But yet we can be born again and be given that spiritual life through one man, that one man, Jesus Christ. And he's making that case that, yes, there was one man that, that caused all men to die spiritually, but yet by one man also, we can be born again and be brought back into God's grace spiritually. We can be given that grace of God. So I just want to encourage you guys tonight and tell you that, yes, We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.